This episode of The A-Team is brought to you by FaceToFaceGames.com, Canada's number one source for Magic the Gathering card singles. And I was just looking at her, I'm like, seriously, these children are going to spontaneously combust. We will not need the lighter. They are going to burst into flames. Like, they got some sort of Lord of the Flies thing going on there right now. That's where, great. Like, they're maintaining order, and they should not be. But That's crazy. somehow they pulled it off. Welcome to the A-Team Podcast, brought to your ears by ManorDeprived.com, home of Canadian magic. In 2010, a crack magic playing unit was sent to prison by the DCI court for mise they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a federal pound-me-in-the-ass prison to the Canadian underground. Today, still wanted by Wizards of the Coast, they survive as podcasters of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can listen to The A-Team. KYT. Anything that costs a shit ton of mana, you're just like, bang! And they're like, fuck. How does that go? Bang! Fuck. <laughs> Jay Boosh. And that's like the hyper angle. I never want to play in another GP again. I, want to, I never, ever want to play in another GP. Jeremy. And you're the reason I play Magic too. I'm like, I just like, I died. I died. I was like, like just melting on the inside like that. I have inspired this kid to play Magic. And Matt. So I'm having this conversation with this guy in Chile about my deck and then I'm getting pizza from a guy in Canada. It's like, magic is fucking weird. And now, the A-Team. Hello, and welcome to episode 281 of the A-Team podcast, where the conversation seemed forced and nobody wants to be here. <laughs> 281 episodes of garbage. Our view. And, uh, and yeah, everything sucks. And I don't even know why you're listening to this, sh- this show because we're supporting <laughs> to like, you know, our quote unquote fans. Uh, yeah. What, what did I miss? What did I miss? Oh, if you go read the comments on the last episode, it says that we suck a fat dong. Oh, really? Well, it's someone that was with you though. Yeah. At, uh, at your house. Yeah. GP tours. At the condo. GP tours. It's your boy. Which one? Bruce Lee, man. Bruce, Bruce Lee, Lee hates us? Yeah, he said he's a fat one. <laughs> oh, no, he doesn't. But he did He did say we we sound uh, I mean, sick to be of fair, I didn't listen to the last episode. But KYT even said, like, right to his face, like, yo, bitch, I talked about some <laughs> shit I cared about. You can't just come on here and say that I don't care. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe Bruce didn't even listen. Who, who knows? No, I think he listens to everything. He so. probably does. He probably does. Shouts you. He Bruce. must go back if he likes me on Monday Night Magic. I, yeah, <laughs> I love Bruce. Um, but yeah, like, let's start with Jay. Where have you been? What what have you been building? Oh man, I've been working on this new deck. It's pretty fat. It's pretty fat. I uh, I finished. Well, basically finished it on. Uh, on Saturday, well Sunday, I guess it would have been. I haven't Saturday, done any Sunday. Design. Yeah, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, I haven't done any of the sideboards, but uh, like so far, the main deck is. is <laughs> wow. Uh, well done. Yeah, it's not even. This isn't even rehearsed. Um, yeah, so far the main deck's done. We test. We did some testing last night, uh, 
and it held up. It actually held up pretty good <laughs> against two like heavyweights, even. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty pleased with it. But that's where I've been. I I haven't really had time really to do anything else. I've just been really focusing on um, deck building, and I went out and got a couple things for the sideboards yesterday. And uh, is there yeah. a hot tub? Uh, there is a hot tub. Yeah, yeah. So sweet. when you do testing, that's where you get to do it, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's what I've been up to. Uh, I played a cube, you know, I played a cube, and that was fun. Although I don't know where my box, little box of commanders are. I haven't played cubes since, like, before GP Toronto, and we didn't play in GP Toronto, if you'll remember. What do you mean we and didn't play? so somehow... I don't know where my little box of commanders is, which means we had to play, like, regular cube? And, like... Boo, boo, boo. Oh, fuck hype, boo. Also... Boo hype. Also, like, I don't really know... Like, I, I don't know if you guys experienced this, but, like, maybe KYT... And I guess Jared plays a lot of magic, too. Do you find... <laughs> do you guys find, like, if you focus on a format, that when you go to try to play a different format, you kind of stumble? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, forget what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, it seems to me that it should be... It should be... I hope this doesn't sound too forced. I really want it to seem like I want to be... <laughs> Free-flowing. Free so, um, but it seems to me that, like, I played a lot of Commander Cube. I've been playing Commander Cube for probably at least a year, probably even closer to two. And, um, and then we went to go play, like, regular Cube. And I was just, like, I felt really, like, I was, like, really agonizing over my picks and floundering. And I was, like, I mean, really, like, not really that different. You still, you know, the only real difference is your your card colors are picked out for you kind of at the beginning. But, I mean, you're still trying to draft a cohesive deck, and you're still trying to do a whole bunch of things and whatever. So I found it, it was, like, it just, because it was, like, a format that I wasn't used to. And it's, you know, it's a 50-card deck, 40-card decks. I was just, like... I mean, all I'm gonna say is thank God in Pack Four I opened a world knit, and it just it was easy after that. Yeah, you guys find in that? Pack like four? If, you're, if you're yeah, Pack Four. So I mean, my deck was already kind of focused in like a blue black area. Why is it four packs? What do you mean four packs? Oh, because we do four packs of eleven instead of three packs of fifteen. You yeah. should know this. Yeah, you talked about this once. Yeah, it's I because just chopped it up to like just like. Crazy people talk. No, it's just, it's in, in Cube, there's too many good cards. So then, like, when you have a pack of 15, like, there's two reasons. One is you just see the pack so many times, and I just get sick of people saying, Oh, my God, this is in the pack? Oh, my God, how is this still in here? Like, 400 times. It's Cube. Every card's going to be good. Like, yeah, there's six cards left in the pack, and there's, like, a fucking... In Don't you quite literally like, cube with, like, the same people over and over again? Yes, I do. Very often. So why can't we just educate the player into not saying things like that? Well, because I don't play with reasonable people. That's another story from the cube from this weekend <laughs> that I'll get into. Um, you know, again, provided that it doesn't sound like this is too forced. If you guys want to talk about something, then... <laughs> I think you're hating on the forced comment is too forced. Okay, sorry. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't for that to be forced, so let me dial it back a bit. Be a little bit more genuine. So, so, yeah, it's four packs of eleven. I opened a world net in pack four. I was already kind of drafting blue black mill 
with like a splash red or white potentially for control. And then I opened World Then and was just like, ah, fuck this. But um, yeah, do you guys find that? Like you're focusing on modern and then you got to play standard and you kind of, it doesn't just, you know, transfer. Does that happen? Uh, well, I haven't played a ton of limited and now I just feel like I'm stone garbage at it. So oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that that's that's definitely a thing. And then I jump on Magic Online. I was like, well, I could be terrible at limited or I can play some fucking dredge. And then I decide, oh, instead of being good at Magic, I'd rather have fun. And then I play dredge. Nice. Oh. It's terrible, because... You know, Dredge is a mechanic and a deck that I don't even understand. Well, it's not magic. I think that's one of the appeals. Oh. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's actually, it's really cool. Well, I mean, yeah, that's sweet. It's like playing Hearthstone, but with magic card? <laughs> like, I had a mulligan to four, and I crushed my opponent. Holy shit, talking much. you don't have to draw cards. I had two lands, a Faithless Looting, and a Golgari uh, Grave Troll. I was like, okay. And that's all I needed. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, Jay, I don't know if it's just the question is uh, like switching and, and just lack of um, playing time for, like, for, for in Jared's case, he just, like, hadn't played for a while. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's why he sucked. Yeah, that happens for sure. And I guess maybe, right. maybe it's kind of the same thing, maybe? Well, yeah. It's it's a matter of like if you're playing it in a certain sense, like even going into your whole cube comment there, when you're playing the commander cube, there are some decisions made for you. Yeah. You know, you're going to have a commander, so it's gonna lock you well, it's gonna steer you in the direction of certain colors. And then there's gonna be a way that that commander plays, so that's gonna steer you in the direction of certain cards that synergize better with that. Right. So it almost sounds like you're having just the analysis paralysis, like you have to figure out what cards you want to play around. I like that. I like that there's analysis. So many, yeah, there, there's so many options out there. You can do whatever you want. And since you can do whatever you want, you're not told what to do. So then you're all of a sudden trying to like, well, maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. And you right. have to kind of rebuild that skill because that is a skill where you sit there and you do your first picks of a draft and you have to make that decision, you know, towards the end of the first pack of what the hell am I actually playing? And that can leave you in like that really messed up spot of right. you have no idea what you're doing yeah yeah i mean i think it's kind of true like like because because i'm kind of like you never want to kind of get hooked too far but even that simple decision of like say you're playing like a three color commander and now your packs are down to three colors instead of five like even that i think makes like a big big difference even though like it could seem like it could kind of be not really that big of a difference i think you it's huge because you don't even have to see those cards. Yeah. You yeah. can open up a pack, and instead of choosing from 11 cards in your pack, you could be choosing from 7 cards. Yeah, and that like makes a huge difference, especially when the card quality is so high, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so like I suffer from that, and I find like it kind of happens in Standard, too. Like, if, like I find, I think that kind of goes back to the old adage of like when they say like you should stick with what you know. Because I think like if you play, if you play the same deck enough, then, like, again, like, some decisions are just going to be made for you in that, like, you know what to play, you know what you're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, I, like, with Standard, go into your comment on Standard. Standard's one of those formats that it, 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 it changes a lot, but it also changes slowly. And I, I know that these words actually don't really make a whole hell of a lot of sense, so let me just try and reframe this. Um, if you are constantly playing Standard, you evolve with standard. Whereas if you were to jump into it 
like every three months, like every time a pro tour happens, if that's your exposure to standard, it's going to seem like a completely different format. Yeah. But if you're following it along, you can understand what decks you like to play and you can play that style of deck. Like you can watch as things play out. Like, okay, I'm, I'm a Coco player, so I can play a company deck down this way or I can play a company deck that way. And you understand how things are going because you evolve with the metagame, you evolve with how things are playing out. But if you step out of it, when you go to step back into it, you're, you're, you're fresh. Like when I yeah. went to GP Toronto, I stepped into it fresh. I had played some Bank Coco, but when I was playing that tournament, like I didn't really understand what was going on. <laughs> it's yeah, like, oh, just like, cast this on four? Moves. Sure. Well, no. Because Jerry, Jerry always says his only GP awesome performance is because of the format. So it's like our listeners are probably just wondering, like, is this guy even good? <laughs> you mean like GP Vancouver from 10 years ago? Yeah. Or? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, Jerry, it's, 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 it's the John Medina question. So do you think you're good now, or did you just get lucky? <laughs> <laughs> the SC- Oh, yeah, he SCG top aided once. What? Medina did. He SCG top aided, but then he, like, killed his own Infernal title. Oh, yeah, with and he was like, just act like you know what you're doing. Just, <laughs> just know what you're doing. <laughs> just pretend that you did it on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, I'm the same thing. Like, it's it's tough. Like, Magic, for me, um, I, I checked my Planeswalker points progression over the years. It's like 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 last year, or two years ago, it was 4,000. And this year, it took a giant dip to 1,000. And I haven't been playing as often as I have. And just getting back into it is uh, pretty tough, no matter what format. Except maybe, maybe we're at a point, if you have a modern deck that's been there for a while now, like... The thing is, I'm pretty sure I can pick up a stock Boggle list or Infect deck uh, because I've had so much um, experience with either of those archetypes. And because they play basically the same way and they're not a reactive deck, like a control deck that reacts to the certain deck's strategies, I don't have to reshape my whole thinking. I'd have to reshape my sideboard based on what's out there. But in terms of playing, I would still be at close to optimal level. But, um, yeah, I played a PPTQ this past weekend, and I played green-white tokens for the first time competitively in the first round. And definitely, uh, even though it's a powerful deck that maybe has draws, it def- no, definitely has draws that completely wins games, I, I did feel, like, out of my element in some matchups. Yeah, because, you know, you go back to talking about being able to play Boggles all the time or being able to play Infect all the time. Like, those decks are... are Fun in the format because those are decks that have to be reacted to. You know, it's right. kind of like playing, that affinity. You're playing thing. proactively, right? Yeah. Well, right. You're, you're, you're setting the pace. You're doing what you can. Where the edge comes out in those games is you have to have a good understanding of how your opponents are going to stop you, how they're going to interact with you, so that you mm-hmm. can play around that and do what you need to do. So you're not, you're not really trying to figure out, oh, geez, how do I get the edge on this guy? You're just... How are they going to slow me up? Because if they slow me up enough, then they're going to win. They have inevitability. Every deck that you play against has an uh, inevitability. But if you understand how they're going to slow you down, then you can play around that and you can beat them before they get established. And that's really uh, advantageous because like a mid-range deck, you have to, you have to play both sides. You know, I, I remember playing Marvel vs. Capcom 1 in, the, uh, in this arcade. Uh, I used to work at the Bay selling menswear and i'd go and i'd spend my my coffee break whatever 
playing Marvel versus Capcom in the arcade in the mall. And I'd always get super frustrated because there was like these three guys who would always go in there and they'd be there at the same time. And they'd always want to play Wolverine or Spider-Man and they'd put it on the easy mode. So they don't have to like do any of the actions to attack or anything like that. They just mash like they're fierce or whatever like that. And it does like moves. So they didn't have to like do any of the moves. They just mash a button and it would do that move. And I remember that this like, there was one kid and he was really mouthy and he's just kind of gloating. And I'm like, man, you're not even playing the game. And he's like, oh, don't be like that. Learn the blocks, learn the blocks, learn the blocks. And I remember I turned on once like, well, learn the fucking attacks, kid. You know, yeah. and, and that was like the case where it's like, this is kind of the same thing is that, you know, if you have to know how to attack and how to like, how, how to be, how to get proactive on this guy and how to get defensive on this guy and kind of understand both sides of it, then it can be a lot harder to jump into that deck whenever you want because you have to understand how to attack those guys because some mid-range decks have to attack different decks differently. Some right, control right. decks control decks always have to figure out how to attack people differently. Um, so the, the more, like, the less, less aggro that you're playing, if you're playing, like, an all-in aggro deck, like a Boggles-type deck or an Infect deck, then those decks, you can pretty much, I feel like you can pick them up a little bit better, but they're also the ones that can get hated on the best. You know, like, the mid-range decks will have more tools to combat that deck. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I, don't know. I, mean, I mean, like I think it kind of also goes to like more on the whole like um, I guess like uh, I really like because Jer always brings up the the proactive versus reactive because it's really relevant, but a lot of people don't look at it kind of like that. But I've like one thing I really like with say cube is if someone hasn't played cube before or my cube specifically before, um, I always tell them like you know if you're ha- if you're struggling and you're overwhelmed with picks and etc. Um, like a really good strategy is just pick guys that turn sideways and attack like go red white and just kind of um just kind of just just be it be aggressive just attack you know um you can't really go wrong with attacking in my cube and in general like a lot of times you know like you can't really like uh, like it's something that like i guess kind of can get overlooked because people are always trying to like combo or whatever right but I think like you don't have to always go deep, you know. You can, you can just be 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 aggressive, and then, uh, like it's that's sometimes like a actually a lot of the times that's good enough. Yeah, it's a great strategy because then you don't have to think as much on like what your synergies and stuff like that are. If your synergy is my creatures come out faster and they attack harder, um, that that's a good place to be. And another thing is that you can kind of steal wins every now and then because those decks are the best to capitalize on poor mulligan decisions. Yeah, lack yeah. Of mulligan decisions. Yeah, like that's a big one, right? Where someone decides like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to just keep this kind of like maybe slower hand. And then you yeah. just kind of, you can wreck them with a dress or a thought seize and, and then a guy. And they're like, oh my God, like I, I can't recover from this, you know? Yeah, it's it's how many times have you been playing sealed or draft, and you keep like a three land four cre- or four spell hand, and like first spell is like a three drop, and the rest are fours. Yeah, exactly. Like right? that, that's a hand that's and, perfectly reasonable to keep. But maybe by the time you drop your three drop, and then you get stuck on lands, and you don't get to cast your other four drops for a few turns, like you could already be facing down like two or three other permanents, or maybe he's already got an answer for your three drop and he's already got stuff on the board and he's putting pressure on you. Yeah. Well, and then yeah. You're, and then you're behind the curve, right? And if you stumble like at all, 
Like yes. that's a big thing. And I think I think like that's one thing too, where like um especially in Cube, I find um a lot of the and, and I guess actually I find this actually a lot now in uh in like new sets because they're making removal worse and they're making the mythics more splashy, is I find like um it's a lot like a lot of the cards are really powerful. Like the powerful cards are really powerful. And so then what ends up happening is like if you stumble a little bit with your say your aggro deck, it's possible that you can like you can just lose to like their their unbeatable super bomb kind of thing. And uh and so like a lot of people when especially when they're playing cube or say um like or a, a bomb heavy set or something like that, they can kind of get into this like this mode where they want to do like lots of combo stuff where they want to do like lots of moving parts, you know? Um, and, and you can kind of, if you don't know what you're doing or, or if you're trying to do too much, like at once, you can run into these, these problems where you're being too reactive and they're, but they're faster than you. So you can't react fast enough. So every card they're getting under your, um, they're getting under your counter spell or by the time you have removal, they have too many guys or, you know, you have a sacrifice removal and they have, they have, you know, two guys because they were able to play two one drops or whatever that aren't, you know, going to maybe kill you, but then because you're stumbling, by the time you've assembled the machine, you're so low that, you know, a burn spell kills you or even just, you know, two guys kills you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it just kind of goes into that. And then again, if you're jumping back into the format, it's, it's recognizing the fact that you don't have the experience with the format. When I jumped in and I did well at that PPTQ, I was playing my Bant Coco versus another guy's Bant Coco uh, in the in the uh, semifinals, and when I sat down at the the table to play against them, like my my game plan was simple: It's like try to play the blowout game. Yeah. Okay. Try to play the blowout game because if I play yeah. the game that that turns into a board stall, and we get like this complicated mirror match thing, he's got so much experience in that versus me. Right. I have yeah, no experience mirrors. in that. Throwing the mirror is, like, really important in a lot of matchups that are blowout style, you know? Well, yeah, once it gets to that point there, it's like, I'm going to start to learn things. I'm going to learn a lot from this game that we'll play that'll go to a board stall. But if I have to mulligan to something that's going to be a little bit more tempo-based to try and just blow the other guy out, i got to do that because that is, that's the games that I'm going to win. I'm not going to win the 20-minute the drawn-out yeah. 15 permanents, you know, 15 creatures on the, the battlefield game. I, I can't win that one. I don't have the experience. I don't have the the tools. I don't understand what the line is to kind of cut through the other guy and actually have the 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 advantage. Yeah, well, and I mean, like, when I was playing in GP Calgary, that was something that I kind of, that was like when I was playing, still playing standard quite a bit. And actually, I found that too with, with especially with blowout decks like what um, you and KOT are my boggles and Coco in that. Like, I was playing um, Hexproof. And so, like, a lot of my mulligan decisions came from, like, I, I just, I'm not interested in playing this long cerebral game. Like, I didn't pick this deck for that. I mean, I'm capable of doing that because I've been playing the deck for quite a while. But I'm not, I'm just not interested in that. Like, I, and, and if I run into a player that's better than me, that's playing the mirror i will i will definitely make mistakes and lose i will overthink it or underthink it and i will lose so then i just decided like i'm gonna go for the blowout plan and you know it worked out quite a bit i was undefeated day two so really what can you ask for <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't know man 
But yeah, I think I don't know. I, I just I, so that like that kind of happened, and that was kind of interesting, and it kind of brought me back to my magical roots. Because I mean, I've never really been like a great magic player. Like I've been a fine magic player sometimes, I suppose you could say. But uh, but yeah, so that was interesting. And then oh man, interesting scumbag story. Like I guess in like in my opinion, that the the, the person I'm going to talk about is the scumbag. But in their opinion, I'm the scumbag. So maybe Ooh, you guys can you guys can weigh nice. in. So we're cubing. Yeah. It's round one. I say like odd or even. Uh, this guy says like whatever he says odd, and I, and he gets it. I lose. So I I'm like okay, are you gonna play or pass? And he goes, I'm gonna play. And I go okay, yeah. Like I expected that. It's cube. Like you almost. It's almost always correct to play in in cube, no matter what. And uh, and so he's like uh, he he like draws his cards. I draw my cards, and we're sitting there and we're getting ready to play. And, like, I'm like, I'll keep, and he goes, like, he keeps, and I just, and I'm just sitting there waiting, and he, and he's not doing anything. And I'm like, oh, like, am I going, am I going to play here, or, like, or what do I say? I say, like, I keep, he says, you keep, and I say, like, okay, and then I'm just, like, kind of chatting with someone, and he's just sitting there waiting, and I'm like, oh, are you good? And he goes, yeah. And I go, okay. And then I go to draw. And he's like, you don't draw on the first turn. And I'm like, oh, okay, right. So I'm going first? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. I, I didn't realize that. Sorry. And I, like, play a land and say go. And then he takes his turn. And then we play a matchup. <laughs> and we both, kind of, we both kind of stumble on lands. I think on, like, my turn five, I have four lands. I missed one land drop. And then on his turn, it would be, I guess, his turn four, he has three lands. Uh, and he, so he's missed one land drop, and then I, like, draw Vindicate on my turn six, and I, so I still miss a land drop, but I have four lands, it's my turn six, he has three lands on his turn five, because he drew and didn't hit a land either, and I, like, just go to Brian, and I just go, like, what's the play here, is it just, like, Vindicate one of his lands, like, that seems, like, it seems like such an easy decision to make, but I find, like, every time I Vindicate someone's land like that, or I do something like that in a in a game where we're kind of, it's not like turn three, or it's not, um, it's not like the optimal turn, like you don't draw your stone rain on turn two, or your sinkhole, or whatever, um, yeah. I find that, like, it just never really matters, like, uh, you know, because it's like, it's turn five, so we've wasted so much time, and then I sinkhole your third land, and then you just draw, like, four lands in a row, which would normally suck, but your hand's full of gas, and then you just go, like, you're basically playing Jund, and you just go, like, three drop, four drop, five drop, six drop, and I just can't recover because I wasted a turn sinkholing. So I always ask, because I think, like, it's obvious that you vindicate the guy's land if it's his turn five and he's got three lands, you just keep him off. But, I mean, like, I just always get bit when I try to feed that dog. So I ask Brian, and Brian's like, oh, yeah, let's fuck him. And I'm like, okay, so I go, vindicate your island. And he's like, yeah. And then we play the rest of the game out. He doesn't draw land for the rest of the game. So he just dies. And then at the end of that game, I'm like, are you going to play? Like, we're mulliganing. And I'm like, okay. And then he goes, I'm like, you're going to play first. And he goes, yeah. And then we, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And then he goes to like play his game. And then as we're, as we're going to go take the first turn, as he's putting his land down, he picks it back up and like suddenly realizes and goes, hey. And I'm like, what? And he's like, I was supposed to go first last time. And I'm like, well, that's what I thought, but then on your first turn, you just said go. So I assumed, like, I don't know, maybe you're playing Reanimator and you have the Entome 
like reanimate combo in your hand, but you don't have any, you know, activators. And so you're just going to go with the old turn two, draw, discard, turn three, reanimate, Grizzlebrand, which I probably can't eat. No matter, even if I'm playing the most of aggro decks, I probably can't beat that. And he's like, oh, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, well, what? Like you, I said, are you good? And I said, I, I even said, sorry, are you good? Because I was talking to Brian waiting for you to take your fucking turn. And I tried to draw because I thought I was turn two. And he's like, oh, whatever, <laughs> cheat to win. And I'm like, cheat to win? Wow. I'm like, we're wow. fucking playing fucking cube with nothing so on the line, you fucking piece of shit. And also, uh, <laughs> how many fucking times have we played cube where, like, this this literally doesn't matter. And I tried to give you the takes these backsies like three times by letting you go, giving you the opportunity to go. I'm like, you fucking forgot, and you fucked up, and I also forgot because I just assumed. And then I'm like, and then, you know what? On top of all of that, it's okay for you to admit that you've made a fucking mistake. Because this guy never can never admit that. He's one of those guys. He's like that magic player, which I yeah. want to say is like 90% of magic players, unfortunately. I don't um, think it's 90% of magic I think players. It is. I think it is, because magic's a really cerebral game. And guys that are, pe- or not just guys, sorry, but people that are like in the higher levels of it than average intelligence or think that they are, are really, they really don't like it. I mean, most people in general just really don't like admitting that they're wrong because we live in a society, unfortunately, where if you're wrong, there's so- like, that's bad. And, you know, you can have an entire argument about something. And if you screw one, you know, one fact up, that's the end of it. It doesn't matter. All of your other points don't matter if you screwed one thing up and someone catches you. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a casual conversation, an argument, a debate, uh, a burn fight with your friends. It doesn't matter. If you get caught screwing something up, even if you say a word wrong, people will just vilify you. So, like, we, and especially in the magic community, especially as a nerd, and especially if, you know, you're this particular person, um, just, it just, it's, I, really I, hard. I, 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 I still disagree. I think that the good players are the ones who recognize their mistakes. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of people Absolutely. who want to be good who will yeah. not do yeah. that. I think I'm, that that's I'm, one area, but I think the difference between them so and wait, the good players so wait, so are the yeah. ones that are willing to accept it. I didn't it. say that good players can't admit mistakes. I said 90% of players can't. And I just want to clarify this. So you're saying that the good players are the ones that can admit mistakes. So are you saying that more than 10% of the people that play Magic are good? Well, and during your exactly. 90% like, during your ninety percent plan, you said the good players, like all the 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 really like high up players. So that's where I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, like, no, I just said I just said ninety percent of magic players can't admit they're wrong. Okay, during your ninety percent, like in there, you tried you 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 clarified a little bit more, and that's where I felt to step in. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't mean good players. But I no, I still I still think ninety percent is still way off. Okay. Well, I stand by my ninety percent. But anyway. Yeah. I'm just like you can you can make a mistake and you can just say that you made a mistake and that sucks. Like like what are we gonna do? We played an entire game. You had three lands on your turn five. I vindicated one and then you didn't draw a land for the rest of the game. So would that one turn have really mattered? Because you played exactly zero spells that turn. Like fuck. And then he's just like rah, rah, rah. I was like, whatever, like fuck right off. Like I can't even handle that shit. So that's the scumbag story. Am I the scumbag or is he the scumbag? What do you think? Uh, I think salt firm. <laughs> I think that he was complaining because he was frustrated at other things. That's just good old fashioned deflecting. Oh yeah, of course. That's what I thought you too. Know, like he, he's upset with the fact that his deck didn't perform. 
and he's just putting it on you. Yeah, absolutely. Like, in that situation there where you're going to be landlight, you kind of want the draw. You want to get extra draws so you can see more cards so you can get your lands. So if anything, he was actually probably in a better spot than he should have been. Yeah, yeah, exactly, for sure. So, and you know what? Magic's a game of variance. Like, land screw happens to everybody. At the same time, you probably should have said, you're going first. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah. I guess when, he, <laughs> when I said, are you good, and he said, yeah, go ahead, I guess I could have said, aren't you going first? Question mark? Oh, I'm like, what the fuck? You, you tried to draw. I mean, like, and then he says that, go, or whatever. No, he didn't even say that. He said, you don't draw on the first turn, is what he said. Right, right. I mean, like, that's almost like, how can you not take that as, right? I don't know. Especially if you felt you, or you weren't sure who was going first. I mean, based on, uh, yeah, the details of your story. I think yeah. clear communication is very important. Absolutely. I believe yeah, I'm the exactly. only person on this in this discussion right now who's been involved in a case where we had to call a judge to randomly determine who goes first in a match at a GP. Sorry. No, <laughs> not me, not me, but my, my teammate. Oh. But this is fucking cube. I know, it's yeah. fucking cube. It's, it's cube for nothing, cube. <laughs> yeah, it's not even like we were cube for $20 or a draft set cube. Like... It's cube for, like, something to do on a Friday night instead of jerking off and watching the Blue Jays cube. Right. And it just felt like, I don't know, it just felt like you, there were, like, two spots where you basically assumed that he was going first, and he did something that that made it seem like it's supposed to be the other way. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, I think, I don't know. The big thing that we can all learn from that, you know, in competitive magic is communicate. Ask questions. Yeah. yeah, there's a lesson from that. Yeah, that's true. A lesson from even this game and how it, it can apply to a real game, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think a big lesson, too, that I took away from it was that, like, I realized I never want to be that person. Um, so, like, like if, especially if you're playing kitchen table magic, like, I never, ever, ever want to be the guy that is really upset about kitchen table magic for nothing. Like, not even kitchen table magic for a draft set or something. Just... I never want to. I never want magic to matter that much to me that I'm going to lose it in a group of my friends, like with nothing on the line, playing a casual format. You know, um, and I think that's a big thing because the like, I think a lot of people can take kitchen table magic really seriously, which is not. It's not a bad thing that you take it seriously, but I mean, like it's kitchen table magic. There's a certain modicum of cat, like of just just casual friendliness when you're playing. You know, it's the same reason why I don't really like playing EDH, because, like, it's a casual format. It's I'm assuming that you're playing casual unless someone says, like, you know, we're playing whatever list or whatever rules or whatever. And I, Prison and, rules. Yeah, yeah, and then you get in there, and it's like, they, they go, like, you know, turn two, winter orb, turn, you, you try to search for something, they mind censor you, like, and you're just like, okay, so you're just playing a prison deck where no one's allowed to play anything, and you're the only one having fun by stopping everyone else from having fun. Great, I concede to you, you win the game, now can I just, like, play magic? Like, why are you even here? Um, And so, like, you know, I just, I just feel like I don't ever want casual magic to happen like that. Like, when I was playing casual in Toronto, I, like, didn't care that I was, like, I didn't care that I if I won or lost. I was just having fun being the villain. Like just being ridiculous. I didn't care that like 
you know, if somebody wanted to do take these backseats, fine. Like, who cares about take these backseats? Like, you know, like They're it's the cash. best kind of backseats. And these and these are the same guys that like will do takes these backseats fucking constantly. And then when I try to do takes these backseats, like on something like if you play an island and then they're like, you know, too late, and then they're like, and then you want to play a mountain, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I'll take these backseats, and you're like, whatever. And they do take these backseats like on so much shit, and they're just those people. Like they're the ones that are like, they can do it, but you can't, kind of thing. And I'm like, just I'm just so sick of like that bullshit in casual fucking magic, like. If you have to do takes these backseats, you're obviously not that good at magic, so fuck off. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know? And, like, if you can't remember... Stuff, stuff. If you won the die roll and you can't remember fucking whose turn it is, you are obviously not that good at magic. <laughs> like, fuck. Yeah. But, I mean... I love that rant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's my non-forced magic contribution of the week. Sounds good. Sounds good. I I just played a PPTQ, uh, so my my story is pretty short. It was like a small one. Now that there's, unlike there was a a little conversation between Doug Potter and and Alexander Hain, a little uh, fun over what where the toughest PPTQs are. Oh my goodness. But uh, as 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 there is usually some some uh, west against east uh, eastern Canada wars, but uh, anyways, for for us, there's just too many of them to the point where you know they're they're they are just weak because there's so many of them. People don't have incentive to go to them, whereas in other places, you know, all the good players are going to them because there's only so many of them. Here, there's like literally two every weekend, and the one I went to. On Saturday, there was a scheduling error from one of the stores that they were both having PPTQs, two stores, and they were basically 15-minute drive apart. So someone wow. fucked shit up. Some Someone fucked up big time. And um, so for us, it was just 23 people, five rounds. I ended up 3-2, finished in ninth, um, lost to uh, the right stack, which is uh, a tough matchup. And I feel like this rights type deck has existed for so long now. Basically, a, a deck that has a combo win, but the beginning phase is just like a bunch of dumb ground guys that are usually visionary, like Cantrippy or Wayfinder. Cantrippy guys that just gum up the ground to buy them enough time to combo you out. So I, I hate playing against that deck because usually, for some reason, I'm always with the deck that tries to attack on the ground. And I just get don't have enough time to kill them. And green-white tokens is sort of... It takes some time to get going. Uh, for some draws, where you are just making tokens and anthem, uh, making an anthem to get through. So they have enough time to get their displacer combo out. And that's why it's, it's known to be a somewhat bad matchup. So I didn't feel too bad about losing that one. And uh, I did lose another to Landflood. I believe he was just a Naya Planeswalker uh, type of deck. But uh, it felt pretty good. Otherwise, like um, I talked about earlier, show green white tokens just has these draws that you can't beat when it goes, and it's not uh, too unfrequent that they hit them because you have Oath of Nissa, uh, four copies of that uh, as a one drop, which gets you either a land or a planeswalker or a creature. So it actually increases the chance of your nut draws. Once you have that in your hand, right. you can easily go advocate into Nissa into Gideon, and happened a lot when I was playing against it. 
and it happened when I was playing it. So um, I, I felt it was good, and I felt the deck was great. But um, yeah, just tough matchup. And uh, you know, the only thing that annoyed me was one of my opponents, <laughs> who one of those that likes to basically like the only thing that bothers me about certain opponents like they like to narrate the whole thing and and woe is me type type yeah, narration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And one game I had drawn three Othanissa, and he was commenting commenting on that in sort of a negative way, as if I was so lucky to get them. But the problem is, he I guess he wasn't paying attention because every oath I, I basically was. My hand was flooded, but I had three oaths, so I was hoping that they would buy me some action, either a creature or a planeswalk. Right. But all three of them got me a land. Wow. And in the middle of it, I was also drawing a land uh, for, like, the next couple of draw steps. So I was, like, insanely flooded. So I hit five mana. I had, like, three lands in hand, and obviously he's narrating, oh, man, obviously he has Archangel... Avacyn, and I'm like, I wish, man. Like, I literally fucking have nothing. Right, and he's just I'm narrating the whole planet. time. Yeah, yeah, in, in the negative, like, oh, how lucky type thing, and it's uh, it's a little annoying. It's a little annoying, I mean. And, uh, you know, I'm, like, whereas I'm the one who should be complaining because I'm flooding out of my ass, but, you know, I'm not seeing anything, so. Uh, but my friend Dave Schneer finally took it down uh, after finishing in the finals uh, two weeks in a row. So wow. once we at the finals again, it's like, oh shit, finals number three. A repeat. Uh, but the awesome thing is that he's been playing. He's known as, uh, I'm sure there's people in your community, Jay, that are known as just like the control player. Okay. And they're not especially like like Alexander Hain elite, but they're like one of the better players in, in the local area. And Dave Schneider has been. He's probably the best player in Montreal. I would say at least top three wow. that has never qualified at all with a, with, a, with a qualifier that has never qualified for a pro tour. Wow. And put them either as the best or in the top three. So he's been trying really hard. He's been winning um, uh, PPTQs, but falling short at the RPTQs. He's been falling short from the old PTQ system. Uh, obviously one of his, um, one of his, uh, he was one of my victims in the finals. I beat him to qualify for my second Pro Tour in the finals. Wow. So he's come really close, and I've been uh, on the other end of, like, giving him that heartbreak. But he, he finally gets another chance of, of hitting yet another RPTQ, so best of luck. But what was unique about him, it's like Shaheen Surani actually was, was a good comparison. Like, always coming up with these control brews, and he's been playing an Esper deck that I have not seen at all and maybe Jer ha in, has seen from some of his friends or maybe it's been seen earlier in the format's like beginning but it's an Esper control deck but with a token secure to waste uh, wind path also plays Westvale Abbey as its lands and uh, Mage Ring Network I think and plays one copy of Narset plays two copies of Sorin. Uh, plays the white raft that if you have delirium it like descend into something. Oh uh, yeah, delirium into darkness. Yeah, yeah. I think he plays delirium two of them or one. Has bring gives you a four four angel. Yeah, if you have a whatever that thing's called. And a delirium and and it just seems so powerful. It just seemed like okay, it's perfect against tokens because it's playing not only the descend the, the but it's also playing languish. And other stuff like that. I was pretty impressed. And once you got Sorin, I mean, it's pretty powerful once you have it in a 
board state where everything's pretty balanced. Um, so I was impressed. And then he gave it to my friend William Blondin, who was judging the event. He goes to play a PPTQ the next day. He gives him the list. Never played it before, and he wins with it. Wow. So Esper Dragon, oh, not Esper Dragons, Esper Tokens, I felt was really good because it, it made opponents, um, like David Lascar in the first one, he sided in, he was green-white tokens, he sided in Tragic Arrogance, okay, which is weird. Why would you side in Tragic Arrogance against a control deck, but he felt like he may need it against the token aspect of it? Okay. And, it, and it's like, probably not, like, overall, it's probably not a great card, but when he did cast it, it, it did have a good impact because Dave somehow had multiple planeswalkers and, and multiple tokens, yeah, so yeah. it was at its best. But in general, you don't want to side in a five mana sorcery against a control deck with counter spells. Yeah, that's so, true. So I'm like, wow, it's like you made a control deck that has these different avenues of attack or different avenues that the opponent has to be scared of and they might have to play a card that's only good in this specific situation you're just confusing the fuck out of them so and you have answers you you do have answers in your deck to their threats uh what they're throwing at you so i was pretty impressed and i think i'm getting him to write an article this week and i think this might be a deck to look out for for the wmcq i expect him to play it and uh yeah i will look out for it as per tokens i'm not going to post a list i'm going to have uh, in the show notes, uh, unless his article's out by then, which it could be, but uh, was extremely, extremely impressed, especially since Shaheen, when he was on our show, talked about how his Esper deck had trouble finishing games, and I don't think his had, like, the secure-to-waste uh, path to victory. No, he right? was definitely not playing that. So, hmm, maybe this is the way to go. I don't know, but uh, that was the magic I played. What about you, Jer? So, uh, I've been prepping for my W or my, my RPTQ R, or whatever the heck they call them these days. The, the PGQ, that's the other thing. So, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, working, uh, I'm working a five and two at my job, which means I work pretty much banker's hours in that sense. Uh, longer days, but Monday to Friday. So, my game plan was I was going to play the second, uh, the second uh, RPTQ. Just because, like, there was a couple other guys who were going to do it when we were thinking about getting together and all that kind of nonsense. Mm -hmm. So I find out on the Thursday that we're switching to a 10 and 4 schedule, and now I'm working that second one. So I go to take a look to sign myself up for the one on Saturday that, that just passed. Go and find out that the cutoff is actually on the Wednesday, so I missed the cutoff by a day. So I sent an email to the organized play people. I'm like, look, I just had my work schedule shift. I want to get in on the Tuesday or on the Saturday one. Please, what can you do for me? You know, I'll love you guys forever. You can be my hero, blah, 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 blah. I can't play the other one, so I really need to get into this one. Finally get a response. It's, oh, well, the number's already locked. So, uh, yeah, you uh, can play the one, the next one. And then another email following up like a couple hours later. So do you want to play the next one? I was at work, so I'm in a bit of a bind because I have to figure out how I'm going to play my RPTQ now so that I don't just waste the RPTQ. So right now it's looking like the game plan is going to be get up at early o'clock in the morning because I think it starts at like 4 a.m. our time and play it until I have to go to work. And if I'm still doing well, then just tell work I'm not coming in yet. <laughs> 
Which is a lot harder when you're like the foreman. So. When you're the boss, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I might have to tell my boss, like, look, I might not be in during the day. Uh, maybe I'll be there in the afternoon, whatever the case may be. But the turnout for the last one was actually pretty small. Like when I was looking at the list, it looked like there was only like 32 players or something like that for the first one online. Which I think for an RPTQ is like pretty freaking sweet. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, that was unfortunately all of the magic that I got to play. Um, because the Friday night, uh, my wife wanted to go out and she's like home with my daughter all the time. So the game plan was like, let her go out, do her thing. And when she got back, I'd meet up with my buddies after F&M and go and usually we just play some games at Boston Pizza and, you know, drink. And, yep. uh, as soon as she left the house, I fell asleep. Because it was like such a stupid rough week for me at work. So, uh, yeah, I just like passed out at 830. Nice. She got home and she's like, oh, you want it? I'm like, nah, sleep. Yeah. So (laughs) and then Saturday I got up and there was no events really happening in town. I think there was a a GPT for Portland, but there was PPTQs up in Grand Prairie. um, And then everyone was getting really excited because there's like a PPTQ that they do whenever they do the PPTQ in Camrose, which is like 45 minutes out of town. It's like the sickest value PPTQ that you can ever play. I think it's like 20 bucks. Um, they give you packs. Wow. Um, they feed you. They feed you like a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner. What? Yeah. How? Like, What's they, the breakfast? I don't know, but they just vomit money. Like that's, that's all it is. They're, they're spewing money all over the place. It's not going into their till because they don't get any of it. So everybody loves to go to the events because, like, they're just super sick value. Yeah. Like, the second you sign up for it, you're already up EV. Yeah. That sounds ridiculous. That's how tournaments should be run. Suck on that, face-to-face Toronto, with all your awesome tournaments. (laughs) Yeah. Ah, we came to play. Yeah, so, like, everybody's always super excited when there's a tournament in Camrose because, like, they're just awesome tournaments. And I would have loved to have gone, but it was... So my daughter's birthday had already passed, but we were planning on me still being up in Fort McMurray. So we had booked her, like, a birthday party at, like, this cafe place for the Sunday. So that's what I ended up doing on the Sunday is we got everything all ready and we took her out to her little birthday party thing and let all the kids be crazy. Crazy story. So Okay, here it comes. My daughter is three. There's a bunch of kids at this little table. The table would fit like... <laughs> the table would almost fit oh, no. adults, but it actually fits like eight of these kids. It's like a square table, almost like a picnic table style thing. And yeah. a little glass one. So there's like eight kids jammed at this table. My wife's like, oh, well, we should do the cake. And that's why all the kids are sitting there. So my wife takes the cake. She puts it on the table. She puts the candles in it. She gets the lighter, and then she decides she wants to go and talk to, like, her cousin. So she walks <laughs> away from the table, and there are these eight kids sitting at the table. And I'm just sitting <laughs> back because I'm just like, are you daft? Like, are you mad? Like, they're going to destroy this thing. There is no way that we are going to get to blow out the candles on a cake that hasn't been just mauled by these kids. Because these kids have been here for, like, two hours playing nonstop, and they are just staring down this cake. 
And it was wild because the kids are all looking at the cake. And one kid would like almost reach oh. out like he's going to touch it. And the other kids would just be like right on that kid. Like, no, 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 you don't touch. And then oh, like, li- that's, that's the monkey analogy. Have you heard about the monkey analogy? No, so but, like, keep going, keep going. Wild. Yeah, it was wild because like the kid who would snap at the one kid for touching the cake would like literally have like three-year-old, four-year-old attention span. Seven seconds later, that kid's getting ready to go and grab the cake themselves. <laughs> and then another kid at the table would be like, no, 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 we don't touch the cake. And like, they were literally policing themselves. Like these kids sat at that table for, I swear to God, is, four minutes without is, touching the cake before my wife came back. And I was just looking at her. I'm like, seriously, these children are going to spontaneously combust. We will not need the lighter. They are going to burst into flames. Like they got some sort of Lord of the Flies thing going on there right now. That's where like, they're maintaining order and they should not be. But that's crazy. somehow so, they pulled it off. And like that, the thing that I find super interesting about that, like that's not only is that a crazy story, because that, that's, I mean, who, who, who would ever bet on that? What's the over under on that? Like, that I don't know, happen. but like when she walked away, I turned to like one of the other guys who was there. And I was just like, did she just seriously do this? Like, what's going to happen here? And we were looking at it, like, <laughs> Buddy was a t- Buddy's a teacher, and he was like, you know, I was at a birthday party like two months ago or something like that, and we sat the cake down in the same way with a bunch of seven-year-olds, and it was like, swear to God, 45 seconds and half that cake was gone. Like, the fact (laughs) that these kids are able to, like, police themselves better than these kids who know better, like, if if three-year-olds did it, would you blame them? Right? Not Not, not even for a second. Not even for a second. Yeah, but, like, these kids, like, they, they managed to, like, defend this cake from each other. And it was wild. That is wild. So the monkey analogy on that. So there's a study that they did with chimpanzees where they <laughs> took a group of chimpanzees, they put them in a room, and they put, I think, bananas at the top of a ladder. Or was it bananas? I think it was bananas. And they put yeah, bananas at, a, at the yeah. top of a ladder. And then what happened is if, the, if a monkey tried to climb the ladder, they would take a fire hose and they would spray it. So then what happened is, and I think they only did this once, so then what happened is the next monkey that tried to climb up the thing, the other monkeys would stop him from doing it because they were, like, trying to protect him. But then it turned into this power thing where they would, like, beat the monkey until, until they were scared to go up the ladder. And then what they did is one by one, they replaced the crazy monkeys with new monkeys that had never seen the test before. And the new monkeys wouldn't go up the ladder because all the new monkeys, they didn't know why you weren't allowed up the ladder, but they knew that if you went up the ladder, they beat either you got beat or we beat you. So no one would go up the ladder because they self-policed themselves from going up the forbidden ladder of doom without knowing why. Yeah, and eventually, in the, eventually in the thing, they, they replaced all the monkeys. So there was a, a whole new community of monkeys that had never seen the original cause, but they, yeah, they still... Knew, they did not know that you would get the hose. They just knew that if you went up there, we had to beat you up. <laughs> How fucked is that? These kids were the monkeys. They knew. Hey, KYT, what's the app do? Oh, yeah. I was actually going to seg into that quickly, <laughs> but. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that, that was wild. I got another, like, weird social thing. I'm going to totally cut KYT off because he was almost talking. Well, you just, so. you, you're the one who just tried and brought that up. Yeah, I know, I know. I just, that was more just like a weird, like, inside joke shot. Oh, oh wait. Shout out to that app, though. Um, yeah. MSQRD. Uh, you can go. <laughs> okay. 
So I went to go see Civil War, and I oh really want to talk about Civil War. Is it good? Um, it's. I think. I, th- I think it's on the. If I had to put it like, if you had to scale out all the Marvel movies, it's on the good side. What? And that's that's, that's the so, best I can. So see. disappointing! It looks amazing. I think Jay and I haven't seen it on this show. How is it yeah. not the best one yet? Oh, because like freaking uh, Winter Soldier was like. It's be- okay. It's better than Winter Soldier, or it's worse than Winter Soldier. Yeah, but Winter Soldier is like seriously like that's that's the top yeah. of the list. Yeah, that's absolutely. down the best of them. Uh, and that's what you wanted it to be, but it wasn't. Um, right. But the, the thing that was the, the, the interesting social thing here, and it's more of like a, a lesson to our listeners and me inciting that I don't want to just bitch about weird things. I want to try and make a difference. So the movie's done. And the thing that happens after a movie, because you buy movie popcorn, and you buy movie drinks, is uh, there's a mad dash for the bathrooms. Right. Like movie theater <laughs> bathrooms are always busiest right after a movie's done. Yes. So I go into the bathroom and when I get into the bathroom, like the bathroom's packed and there's all the urinals and the only urinal that's open is the second one from the, like the last, the second last one. So, uh, I'm sure most of our listeners know how a urinal works. If you are a woman who's <laughs> never used a urinal, look up a picture on Google of a urinal. But the pretty much the, the, yeah the the the, the pretty much uh, whole deal with it is you square yourself up, you do your thing. Well, as I'm going to this open urinal, the guy who's on the last urinal, he's actually kind of like almost leaning up against the wall yeah, with his back to the like rest that? like that. So he's like he's on an angle, and I come up and I go and for me to square up against the urinal, I almost have to like put my elbow in his back. Because, oh like, he's got his whole back thing going to me. And I'm, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, is this guy just, like, really worried that, like, someone's going to look at his junk? Or, like, he wasn't actually leaning against the wall. Like, it's not like he was just so drunk that he needed to support himself. He was just, like, in this, like, super secretive, like, like nobody can folks. know that I'm peeing. Right. So I sit there, and I'm, like, getting in there, and I'm just, like, excuse me, buddy. Like, I, I, I have to make a comment because I don't want to be like leaning against him while I pee. Right, that's awkward. That's yeah, that's really awkward. So he sits there and he goes, I, I get in there and he kind of like shipped like a little bit, but he didn't really move too much. He made a scooted towards the, the, the urinal. So I'm doing my thing, and I guess he finished up and he like backed into me. And then he oh turns and he gives me the stink eye, like I have entered into his space. And I just kind of give him this, like, incredulous look, like, what are you... And he walked away. So, if somebody really wants to see what's going on in the toilet, they're probably going to see what's going on in the toilet. They'll go out of their way to do it. So, you don't have to stand like that at the, the urinal. Just face the urinal and do your business. Like, maybe he's got some sort of weird hook in his thing that he can't aim straight, <laughs> that he's got to kind of stand off to the side. All but like, you say. maybe, maybe, like, maybe I'm not being respectful and not understanding the challenges that he faces, but yeah, don't do that. Like, that's the worst part. You know, we always talk about GPs and stuff like that, where you go for like the tournament and stuff like that, but you never remember the tournament. Right. I went to Civil War and I remember the awkward thing in the bathroom. Oh, so yeah, that is awkward. Like. like 
we're, so there was a possible civil war in the bathroom. Yes, absolutely. Whoa! Do you do you square up to the urinal when you go? I boxed people out. You you see? I totally. I, I so you and this guy get along. I'm like that's the thing is that I understand that like in a non busy urinal there is like the urinal protocol right where it's like you are supposed to pick the ends and then every odd one so that there's always space in between people in the urinal. Like, there's that kind of unwritten rule. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you only to, like, fill the gaps when, when, when the, you only fill the gaps when, like, the, the need overrides, like, the, yeah. what's, what's available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, if that's the case, you've got all the room in the world. You could step back, too, and, like, stand next to one urinal and pee in the other urinal if, like, that's your thing. Sure. But it was yeah, a busy bathroom. you got a 12-inch 12, 12 arc there. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just, it was weird. That is weird, man. Holy. That's so crazy. Like, who does the fucking the lean piss and then blames you when they back yeah, into you? Absolutely. Like, I wouldn't have a story if Buddy didn't like bump into me and then give me like, the stink eye. Yeah. Wow. Like the whole. That's like the whole. Uh, go. It's like I'm sorry. I, I can't believe I was standing directly in front of the urinal. Like, what's? <laughs> why would I be here? Yeah, my bad. My bad. Like it didn't turn into the Costco, but you know. <laughs> that Costco yeah. fight, man. Holy shit. Manny Pacquiao got wrecked. <laughs> Manny Pacquiao. Just wreck a yeah, we got, we got, Yeah, we got a theme going with your story and Jeremy's story. With you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, that's like the whole, you know, go. Wait, I was supposed to go. You're a scumbag. Like, nice work, everybody else. Like, whoa, I'm taking a whiz here. Jeez. <laughs> Some people's kids, man. I'm peeing here. I'm peeing here. Those are how how many people have to like copy your deck and write about it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's no credit in there for you though. That's why I was sad, but no, no, at no. Least he, we gave, he gave me he gave me a shout out. Did he? Yeah, yeah. I missed it then. Yeah, it was the middle of the article. Skimming. I was a little upset because he didn't like, he wrote about the article and then he gave me a shout out, which was cool, but then he didn't link to Mana Deprived or he didn't link to any of the articles, which I would have done and I'm going to do, but uh, it's okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe the editor d- deleted them. Who knows who did it? But like at the beginning, I just read the beginning paragraph saying it's, it's been popular on on Magic Online and in states, I'm like, where's Matthew Mendoza's <laughs> yeah, yeah, name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's. I don't know if it's been popular per se. Those are not back. Me, me and me and a couple people have been playing it a lot. So, but it has definitely picked up steam, and I haven't played it since, uh, since Efro's article was published today, and I haven't really played much since the podcast dropped because. Uh, the latest episode of Constructed Resources dropped on the 26th, I think. And Michael, has Michael, my teammate, has apparently played The Mirror a couple times, and he says it is just the most miserable experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it sounds it, like it just, it's it always... Like you guys deserve each other. Yeah, it's always a, a blowout one way or the other. And then he <laughs> mentioned that Bonfire is one of the most miserable cards to play against. <laughs> so... Yeah. 
There you have it. That that yeah, that is it. That is the red green Bonza <laughs> update from Matt Mendoza for the week. This mirror sucks. <laughs> no, it's it, it's interesting. Um, so is that what you guys want me to talk about, or what? I was kind of just waiting to. What do you to want to talk about? The, get into the groove. Uh, Shit! And now I found it. I, I controlled F, man. I, I read a primer written by Matt Mendoza on the deck. What? And there's no link. It's just a, it's a primer <laughs> by Matt fucking Mendoza, and we don't get a link. Tilt. <laughs> What a pingus. Who wrote the article? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, the CFB one? Oh, is it a CFB article? Yeah, Ifro. Ifro wrote it. Oh. Yeah, he played played Ponza in... Does Ifro know you have a site? Is it Uh, a pro site enough? (laughs) I mean, I I assume Ifro knows who I am, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He also... It was kind of weird, because he also mentioned that he had heard it was doing well in states and in in online leagues, but he talks about building his his list and then how similar his list was to my list, like like the first draft. And I, I'm just kind of wondering if he if he saw a list first and then wrote and then decided to build his own or how that whole worked because it took me a bit to get to the to the list that I ended up with. So I think an important question to ask is, uh, in your list, do you play beta stone rains? I play FBB. Yeah, see, that's, that's not good enough. So yeah, no, they're completely separate lists. Okay. Uh, no, correction. <laughs> well, I play three FBB, and then if I add a fourth, it's going to be a whiteboard or revised one. Hmm. No, some people don't, don't, like don't, don't, don't encourage him. Okay. <laughs> That's just attention seeking. I don't have a fourth that. one. You're better than that, Mendoza. I don't have a fourth one. I mean, we spent like four days with him. I don't know if he is. That, <laughs> it's true. That is true. I like that sport girl. The what? I don't know. There was like an old stupid thing that you see in like Reddit comments, and it was like on 4chan, and it's like this posting of like this girl. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm so random. I'm the most random. And oh, I like, like the penguin. penguin. Yeah, the penguin of doom. Penguin That's of it. Doom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what that comment was. Mm, okay. You were being like a magic equivalent of the penguin of doom. <laughs> You're ordered, revised. But yeah, so we've been playing it some. Uh, I published my second update and last week, but receiving some good feedback so far. Uh, a lot of people who have different version, different takes on the list. Um, it, it'll be interesting having further conversations about with with people. So, for example, one of the uh, comments on my latest update is Cedric LeBlanc. He talks about his version and he he talks about losing to death and taxes he's talks about death and taxes is almost unbeatable i don't get that because i feel like the only way i can lose to that deck is either i draw really poorly or i just misplay myself out of the matchup other than that it feels so bad so good so good oh yeah i mean it's just a slow creature deck they play 
two twos for two and three twos for three. And you're just like, all right, I can't shuffle my deck. I can't search my deck. All right, cool. Bonfire? Like Titan? I'm playing Titans. You're playing. Yeah, but they're doing some the mind destruction to you, you know? Like, that's a thing, sort of. Eh, I guess. If you want to play into it, right? Yeah, I guess if they they do, like, the Ghost Quarter Arbiter kind of thing. But uh, that's a good matchup. And also, like, uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that people are sideboarding, are bringing in relics and stuff like that for the... Uh, for the the Absent Coco matchups, and I don't know if they just realize how absolutely absurdly good that matchup is. Where I have I have like online, for example, I've they've comboed me out to gain a bunch of life, but the next turn, they I basically like clear their board and destroy enough mana to where they can't ever play their red cap, so they can't kill me. And that's kind of how that, that matchup plays online. Hmm. Okay. Uh, it's a little different in paper because they go to infinite, they can go to like an arbitrarily large amount of life and then you just have to kind of, you just have to mill them out, hopefully, and keep control of the board. But, I mean, if you're just attacking with an Inferno Titan every single turn, you're just going to kill everything that they play. And then they're never going to get be able to get Blood Moon off the board. And it's whatever. You know, I find it interesting that you have all the answers. And I'm not saying that you don't have all the answers, but this <laughs> this came up recently okay. with uh with me and talking to some people about the cards that I've designed in my Game of Thrones boot and then some cards that they were designing and I find it really interesting. Lately I've kind of been contemplating this, kinda of goes back to what I was talking about earlier where you know, magic players can't make mistakes or admit mistakes. Because I guess like throughout this show actually we've heard that quite a bit. We heard it with Smitty and Scotty, um, and like we even heard it with with uh, with Medina, and I'm sure I've done it too, um, where like people get attached to this thing that they're doing, and then so somebody will say something like, "Oh, I find this matchup difficult," or "I don't like the way you design this card," or whatever, and then like the person almost gets like defensive about it, and then like goes into this scenario to try to convince you why they're right. And it's like always the perfect scenario, right? You know, it's like it's kind of like when someone like you know builds like a like a brew, and then you're like uh-huh. this deck just loses to whatever, and then they're like, no, could you go like turn one this into turn two that into turn three this, and how do they win? And it's like, well, Magic's a variance game, so like, yeah, on your nut draw, of course, you're just slamming them with an Inferno Titan every turn, and you're obviously winning. If you have ten Inferno Titans, you win the game. What about when you don't? How does the deck perform then? Like, so what I'm saying, I guess, is, like, I mean, I don't really care, because uh, I don't play Modern. Yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah. If, if somebody, because you said Efro was saying this? No, Efro, uh, he was, he recorded a positive matchup against that deck and said it was a very good matchup. He agreed. But he oh, also okay. would board in, like, for example, he would board in the one Relic of Progenesis in his sideboard. Right. And we actually just determined that we don't even need it. Like the right, matchup so, is so, so good that they just right. So I feel like when somebody like Efro says something like that, that it's probably got a little bit of relevance to it. Oh, absolutely. And 
not even like having to piggyback onto somebody like that. Like I hate it when people say like, oh, well, you know, this celebrity said that, so it must be true. Don't vaccinate your kids. Or this magic pro said, you know, play this 18 mana sorcery that does nothing. And they must and don't be vaccinate right. your kids. Yeah, and don't vaccinate your kids. And you're like, man, like, but like, I just feel like, you know, it, it just happens. And I think it's a natural thing uh, as humans. Like, we want to be attached to what we make, you know, like how, you know, earlier Bruce said that this felt forced and sucked. And it's like, I'm a little offended by that. But um, I feel like, no. just, you know, maybe if people are saying that they're having a bad matchup with that, instead of telling them your perfect draw scenario where you probably crush any deck. Maybe try to see it from how it could be a bad matchup. Like, what scenario would have to happen? And then, in like, that way it could lead you to maybe, like, maybe you find out a card or you think of a strategy that you didn't think of before because they brought this to your attention. I mean, they could be wrong. I'm not saying yeah. they're not. It's just interesting when people say that. Like, they'll say that to me. They'll say, like, I didn't like the way you designed Area Stark because of this reason. And my knee-jerk reaction to think, even if I don't say it, to, is to think, well, they didn't design the set. They're not looking at the set from a whole perspective. They're looking at it from the draft game they played. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And let me let me mansplain it to them. Well, actually, this. And actually, that. And it's like, does that ever get you anywhere? Does that ever, does anyone ever appreciate that? I don't think they do. I don't know. It might even just be the case of figuring out, like, what is their strategies in game two and three? And what are they doing that... Because sometimes you bring in, like, right now, the whole reason we're talking about this in the first place is Mendoza was mentioning that, you know, they're bringing in these cards that they feel will help them in the matchup. But you see it with some decks that if you sideboard too much, sometimes you sideboard out what you need to actually win. Maybe it's not as intuitive of what you need to win in this matchup. And you're bringing in cards that actually weaken your deck. And if you're taking out the best cards to take out to bring in these cards, you know, you might get a bit of an edge. Like that might be where Ephra's going with it, where he's taking, he's putting in the the relic and he feels like he's taking out the best card. But you can run into situations with people who might not be as familiar with the deck or having struggles with the deck. And they're actually taking out powerful cards that just don't feel powerful on the surface and replacing them with these cards that might be a little bit redundant, right? Yeah. So mm. it's like if you start pulling out all your stone rains or something like that, well, it's like you're not a land destruction deck anymore. Maybe you need to be a land destruction deck against the three-color deck. You know, maybe they're taking out the wrong cards and they're actually putting themselves into a hole and they're, they're creating a larger gap that, that covers, that helps cover the Abzan deck. So, you know, there's like some really strong points of like saying like, yeah, well, this is what I saw. And... You know, sometimes that can be countered with the whole, like, maybe it's just a saw I'm good art, uh, uh, comment of, you know, it's results-oriented. Like, I've played this matchup a few times, and it's always gone really well for me. Uh, versus, like, you know, what are the key cards in this matchup, and what can we be doing to kind of fix it up? And there's that whole thing of, like, I've had positive results with it. And then the next step from there is just going to the player and saying, well, what about the matchup is bad for you? What are they killing you with? What are the important cards in the way that you play the deck that they're just beating you with. What is your silver bullet? And maybe you haven't run into that, and it's like, well, geez, yeah, like I can learn something from this. Or maybe on the other side of it is it's just, well, why are you playing that card? Why did you bring this card in from your sideboard? Uh, why don't you do your strategy this way? Why aren't you more focused on blowing up lands, or why aren't you more focused on the actual creature combat side of it? Like, don't put all your eggs into this basket. And you can kind of sculpt the way that people play it, because you can have two people play the exact same deck, but if they're 
two different play styles, those two decks are going to play completely different, right? Oh, yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, but yeah, so, Jay, to, to turn the, the black-white hay bears example into something more constructive, I guess, uh, is to more of a, a specific strategy. Basically, how they beat you is by slowly picking away your bombs and your stuff with their creatures, and then they're able to basically attack you for enough to kill you before you're able to draw draw and play either a titan or bonfire them. Because basically what you have to do in that matchup is you have to understand that they're going to try to take away all that stuff from you, so you have to try to set up your mana as best as you can to where your top decks are always live and they're always nuts. Because they basically, without Dismember, they can't do anything against Stormbreath Dragon. You just play it, and it just blocks everything that they, they, they attack you with. Um, the same thing is true with uh, like Inferno Titan and Bonfire. The way that their decks is set up is if they're, if they're not actively removing stuff from underneath their, underneath their cards with uh, Wasteland Strangler. So, for example, they, one, one play that they usually make is Tidehaller Scholar into Wasteland Strangler. If they're not making that play, if they're keeping their stuff, keeping your cards underneath their things, or if they're only temporarily depriving you of stuff with with Flicker Wisp, then a bonfire for two just basically completely sets sets their offense back a bunch of turns. So what do you um, do if you don't draw a bonfire? Um, you hope to draw you hope to draw Stormbreath Dragon or Titan. Uh, you or um, Obstinate Baloth and Thrun can also get there too, but they have some flyers, so you have to be cognizant of that. Uh, but yeah, so and then game two, game two and three gets a little, it gets a little better because you, we have more removal, we have more sun shocks, we have more dismembers. We basically just have ways to get some of that that stuff that they take away from us back. And then we sun play shock is such a good things. card right now. Oh, it totally is. Card pisses me off. It's so good. Uh, but that's how I've lost to them is that they basically. One of the most annoying plays, for example, is when I sprawl up one of my lands and then they flicker with my land. Right. So to to basically knock me back mana, uh, one or maybe three mana if I have if I have Arbor Elf. So uh, or two art two mana I should say. But that's that's kind of how they beat you. Is basically they they're able to make you stumble enough with their tax effects to where you kind of get off your game plan like one. One sequence that can very easily uh, be your downfall if you don't, for example, see some removal is if they're on the they're on the play, and you they play a Thalia on turn two. So if your turn three, if your turn two play is to play a land and play like a Blood Moon or a Stone Rain, that suddenly costs four. Now you suddenly don't have a play, except for Kitchen King, and then then it kind of goes up from there. Where Acid Moss is really good, but with a Thalia in play, Acid Moss costs five. So and it gets it. It's like that sort of stuff, where they they kind of stop your early game disruption with their Thalias and tax effects, and then they force you to start playing your creatures. So you go kind of you you skip that early point in your game that can usually lock them out of the mana from playing their spells and stuff, and then they force you into your your making your decisions of either you play your creatures and no disruption. Or you play your disruption and hope that their creatures don't kill you. If that makes sense. But in terms of and and I say and I say some of this um, 
so some of what I say comes from my own experience with the deck. Uh, for one, uh, because like for example, in the Abzan Coco matchup, I'm ninety. Like the deck is ninety percent. Like we have a ninety percent game one win win ratchet win rate, and then in game two we have a eighty two percent win matchup. Eighty two percent. Where did you get that number? Yeah, how uh, could my, you possibly have that? My number. I keep track of everything. Show me. Show yeah, you where. Okay. That's, that's muffin stats at best. I think he actually does track. It doesn't I'm matter how sure. many games could he possibly play. Uh, I have uh, between you need me some and, sort of multiple that ends with an eighty-two percent. Uh, between so I have nine matchups recorded, and Michael has one matchup recorded because he just so he you weight yours a little bit different so that you get that extra two percent. What do you mean? Well, if you got ten matches, how do you how do you get eighty two percent? Uh, because my my win ratio is eighty one point eight two percent. No, but how many games? How many matches? Ten. Uh, nine. Nine is my my recorded matchups are nine. Michael's recorded matchups is are one. So you so you have eighty two percent win percentage, and you've recorded ten matches. That's fucking nothing. I, it's something. It's no, something. it's not. It literally is not. That's like saying eighty-two percent of the people that voted for the would vote for Trump, and then you took a poll of people. <laughs> like that doesn't. That's fucking garbage. That's like four to five dentists recommend this gum. They talk to five total dentists. All right. Is, is, isn't this like an episode of Gilmore Girls? Didn't they do that in that show? I'm sure that it probably is, and I don't know what that show is. <laughs> I, I have no problem with ten matches. Ten matches is actually like I think that's a fine a fine metric to kind of get an idea on something. I have no problem with ten matches. Really? That's yeah. garbage. That's nothing. Well, that's oh, okay. not like that's 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 better than a lot. I'm loving Dozer's answers. It's like a cheerful. All right. <laughs> like okay. I believe I'm the only person that thinks that when you're trying to test for a competitive tournament and you want to say that you have. X amount of percentage of matches with all of the, the pedigree that we have on the show that you guys think that if you try something 10 times, it's good enough. Okay, so here's that's, where I will so I will ridiculous. concede to part of your point. Like, I, And that goes back to the whole Magic players, like all they do is defend their own arguments constantly. 80, 82% on 10 matches doesn't tell me shit. See, my thing that I think is funny is that how do you get 82% out of 10? Because it's because he won eight out of nine matches and his buddy won one out of one. It's not that hard. Yeah. So isn't that ninety percent? No, we're we're ninety no, percent. If you count, if you count match wins between me and Michael, recorded match wins, we are mm-hmm. nine and one. Goodbye. You guys nine and one. I am eight and one. Okay. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How did you guys not figure that out? In game ones, I am eight and one, so I'm ninety percent. Eighty-eight point eight nine percent. Like, who even fucking cares? On Tuesdays, I'm ninety percent to wake up on time because I tracked the last four in the month. <laughs> so can't extrapolate. Where, can't Jay, extrapolate what, that far. That's Jay, where, oh my god. Where I agree with you is if I had enough. If I had, for example, yeah. I'll I'll go. I'll point to my ad nauseum matchup. Uh, my results: I have six matches recorded versus ad nauseum. I am three and three. That is not enough to tell you 
whether the matchup is good or not. I right, can tell you. All of a no, no, no. Matches? no. Here, listen to me. I can, <laughs> I can tell you how I go about navigating those matchups based on the experience that I have with the deck. But I can't tell you whether it's good or bad. However, right, that's, that's the Abjan Coco matchup, if it's so lopsided like this on just 10 matchups, I can tell you it's a pretty good matchup. Exactly how good it is, what we'd have to take more and more samples and get more data to be like, all right, based on 100 matchups, it's this good. But if we're combined 9 and 1 against it, just in my recorded matchups, that's I can say that that's a good matchup. Oh, man, I mean, do you not disagree? So this is hard. this is over. This is over a GP. This is over states. This is over some ter- some paper tournaments. This is over online leagues. Like this isn't a four deck format. Like that's that's the one thing that I've got for Jay on this is and like why I say ten is like a good to get like a sorry. base level. Are we guys? Sorry, are you? Because you guys you guys keep going back and forth on this, and I feel like uh, maybe maybe there's some disconnect here. Are you saying that you've recorded like a hundred games over ten decks? Or are you saying that you've literally recorded 10 games of Magic? No. Those are matches. I'm quoting to you match numbers. No, I'm aware of that, but, yeah. So I clar- so, I tried to clarify that earlier. I said matches or matchups. Yes. And then someone said matches. Yeah. And you guys are now saying it's not 10 matches? No, it is 10 matches. Yeah. You played 10 matches with that deck versus that deck. No, no, no. Sorry, but okay, okay. Never mind. I don't care anymore at all. What's your What's your question? Ask no, your I question. Don't, I don't. I actually just don't even give a shit about this conversation whatsoever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that uh, I think ten's fine as long because I think Jared Jared was gonna continue how it's uh, basically there's just too many decks for you to have any reasonable sample size for for all of them and. Um, it's also as long as you have also notes of how you specifically feel during those matches if they were because sometimes you can be 10 and 0 but you know that your opponent was land screwed for most of them or there was a certain card or like certain matches feel you know are definitely better just because you have this certain card that you know they can't deal with and then it's just it just goes beyond the stats um where at a certain point, you just know your favorable because of this, this, and that. Yeah, and, and t- yeah. to your to your even your ten o, you know, even ten matches, you're you're basically adjusting for variance to a certain degree. In that, ten matchups is a decent sample size. Yeah, and what's, what's... variance on one side or the other should bear itself out on to some point. But to be ten and o versus something versus anything, that's a good matchup. Yeah, so and you can... when, we, uh, when we did Pro Tour Return to Ravnica, we rented a house, our team. We had a big chalkboard. I brought 12 decks with me, 12 different decks in the format. Other guys brought their decks. We sat there, and when we all got there, we tried to figure out what are the 10 most popular decks. So we built those decks out. Uh, we, built a, 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 we had a giant chalkboard in the house, and we built a grid. 10 decks, 10 decks. And we tried to jam as many matches as we could. We aimed for 10 of each different matchup, just so we could get a feel of what deck beats what deck. And then from there, we said, what do we feel most comfortable playing? Like, what do we think was having a better curve towards a bunch of different things? What was having some better results? And like that information isn't super solid because you could have a donkey playing a deck that has no idea what they're doing. 
versus like somebody who's really skilled in that deck. So, you know, you try to account for those things. And then from there, you kind of get like a base, very, very baseline bit of information. And then you have to like ID, which are the decks that we think are going to be most popular. Like we did a really good job of saying, well, everyone's going to play Judd because that was the tournament that everybody played Judd. So, okay, what decks are doing well against Judd? Now let's play that matchup more to see like, we're going to play with these decks that are showing some positive results. We're going to play that matchup more and see if we can find the deck that beats John the most. And that's where we actually ended up on eggs because eggs had the best game one percentage versus John we found. And that was the way that we did it is we started off by doing sample size of that. Now, one thing that Doza doesn't have in his arsenal is that when you're on magic online, unless you actually have like other people who are going to like sit down and do lock myself in a house for a week, pro tour style testing, you're not going to find all that stuff. So you're literally just hitting join game and you're hoping that your opponent has a deck that matters. Mm-hmm. And it's like, maybe you get to play against Abzan Coco and it's like, awesome, because this is a matchup like that actually reflects the, the metagame. Like this is a, a tier deck that I want to be playing against and I want to learn things about and I want to see how I, I stack up against them. And you get that information, you get to put it in your chart. Uh, sometimes you get to play against like turns and it's like, okay, well, this is going to be the second time I ever play this deck in modern. So I'm not going to learn a lot from this. It'll be very interesting experience to kind of say like, oh, you know, I played this and it went like this and I don't have any actual information, but I saw it good. This is results oriented. Um, But that's the thing is that 10, 10 matches is enough to develop a baseline. That's enough to say, that's enough to identify what are key cards in the oh, matchup. Yeah. And that's enough to develop like who comes out on top most of the time. Like if you play 10 matches with somebody, you should understand which deck beats what other deck. What you don't know is what do you need to do to close that gap? And what you don't know is like, what are like the weird secondary things? Like if you draw the game out past this point, or if the game goes yeah, uh, abnormal, like how do you, how do abnormal games go? But yeah, I think but like just a base thing of saying like, yeah, I find that I'm like 80% against that deck. I think in 10 games, that's actually a pretty fair statement. The question is, is like, what happens in those 20%? Like, do you know enough about why do those 20% go against you? I, and what I, can you learn from that? How do you get that 80% to 90%? I just think it's irresponsible to say that my deck has an 80% win percentage against this deck without quantifying that I played it 10 times or less. Like, that's like, people used to okay. say that about, people used to say that about Cobblade all the time and Delver yeah. all the time. They would say, these decks are unfair. They have like a 70% win percentage. They have an 80% win percentage. So ridiculous. And it wasn't true. It was just what ended up happening with those decks is they were 50-50 against every deck in the format, which was the, the closest you could get, where at the time, all the other decks were less than that. They were better against some decks, but they were like, it, it, it wasn't very many, whereas these decks were 50-50 or, or close to 50-50 on almost every deck, which is what made them unfair. But if I played against some fucking random 10 times and beat him 10 times, I don't think, I think it's irresponsible, especially if I'm trying to get people to take me seriously on a deck that I claim that I brewed up. And I'm not saying that Matt didn't, I'm just saying that, like, he's claiming that he did, he's trying to be legitimate, people are writing about his deck, people are doing this. If you want any sort of credibility, I just think it's irresponsible to just walk around saying, oh, I'm 80%, I'm 80% against this, I'm 80% against that, when you've only played 10 matches. Like, you could say, I'm 80% in the 10 matches that I've played. We are 80% in these 10 matches. You know, or 
I'm 80% against this deck. I feel very comfortable. We've played about 10 matches, and, you know, I think that's enough to learn the basics. And I, But I think we're about, you know, I think in, in those 10, we're 80%, so I think it's a good matchup. I think it's irresponsible to just walk out there and say, it's 80% against this. And I know that for a fact, because I did well, I so didn't. much fucking... Jay, Jay, is I, mean, it I didn't exactly start that way, Jay. Is I it irresponsible to not say upkeep, untap, draw? No, because that's implied. That's implied. It's not implied when you say four out of five dentists recommend Trident. It's not implied that you talk to six guys. Like, yeah, if no. he said that he was 60% out of three games, like that, three matches, that's, that's one thing. But like, Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is I don't know. He, because he didn't quantify But that's it. we asked him what the numbers were, and he, he elaborated. He and didn't he said, hide it. And that's he what didn't I'm hide it. I think, I think it's irresponsible to not say that. Up like, oh, it's 100% win rate. Well, how do you know that? Well, I played well, one match. Yeah, Jay, that's, Jay, that's what I'm saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I don't think that that's exactly the same thing. Here, it is. I didn't if open he had up. Said, if he had said, I've played 10 matches, and I'm 50% in those 10 matches, that's a different story than saying, the deck's 80%. I didn't say that. What'd you say? I said that that Abzan Coco matchups were a good matchup. That's how I started this conversation. Right, and then what happened? I didn't open up with the whole. I don't care how you with the whole up. stat. How did you say that? And we elaborated. And then what did you say? We started talking about I results. See. You say you played ten total matches, and out of those ten, you won eight of them. No, he said that he was eighty-two percent in the matches that he played. Right. Exactly. And I'm saying... Like, what's, what's wrong about that? I think that's irresponsible. If you don't, that's fine. I'm just saying I think it's irresponsible. And, I've and designed it... exactly two magic sets, and in my opinion, I'm 100% the greatest uh, magic designer <laughs> ever because I had a great fucking time designing those, and I think... Yeah, but really your opinion is not a quantifiable thing. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> no, he literally played the matches. Right. So, like, that's where I wanted to get, I wanted to know where he got 82%, because I so, thought it was the number he just pulled out of his ass, to be completely honest. 82% is a funny fucking number. It, it's actually 88.89%, but... Oh uh, my god, uh, yeah. So, to, and, and yeah, Jay, to, to more to your point, I, like, I ask people all the time, in our Facebook group, for example, I have four, I force people to give me their results. So, for example, in, in, my, in the, my spreadsheet, I have my results, I have Michael's results, and then I have other players' results, where I count every, every player who plays a version that is very similar to mine. Because I want to know exactly objectively whether my, statements, whether my statements are true or not. I want to know that stuff. Now, to, to, be cre to a credit to myself, my own experience with this archetype, I have about 240 matches with a version that I would say is an old version with this deck. And then when I transitioned, I still kept track of all of my results. And with this, rec the recorded matchups that I have right now, I have played 267 matches of recorded modern magic with this deck. Now, that is spread out over all of modern. So, for example, I have only one recorded matchup against particular archetypes. So I don't have. So I you're 100 percent against them. Then. No, I'm not. Uh, I might be zero percent against them. In the games that you've played, I'm not saying that. I'm not not telling you. Yeah, sure. If you want to ask me, literally, like I'm one zero against blue, actually, blue white Emiria control. What's the number, Jay? <laughs> What's the number? What number can you use for a percent? What number do you have to play? What's the minimum? 
I don't know, but it's more than 10. What's the minimum? No, you do know what the minimum is. Because you don't like what his minimum is. What's well, your minimum? What do you want to do 10. with it? It's more than 10. Like, okay, what, what number? 11? No, it's more, it's more than 10. 12? Yeah, tw- like 20. 20. 20 is the number? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. Pro tips for everyone out there. 20 is the number. So, but what, I, what I'm also saying is that with this much... Rep- this many repetitions with this p- specific tra- strategy and with my experience as a whole between the two lists because my first list was more of a mid-rangey like avalanche riders kind of list and my neck this list is much bigger but it plays a lot of the same cards and it plays a lot very similar so i understand how the strategies generally interact with each other based on the based on the data that i have so for example while i don't have a whole lot of specific experience against one particular archetype, I can apply both my knowledge of my deck to the knowledge that I have of their deck and how we play out to make some conclusions. Now, numerically... Um, you, you played 260 matches, right? I have 270 matchups, basically. With 270, this. okay. So how many of those matchups have you played more than 20 times? Uh, Eldrazi and Infect and I, I have a Affinity I've recorded 10 matches with. No, no, 20, 20. I know. Um, that's about, that's about it. There were, there was a time where basically I, so I have this unrecorded win-loss uh, section two where I basically would keep track of my results for like some of my paper tournaments or whatever, like my like small store events where I just kept track of the, the number, the win loss number, not the archetype. So that skews my number a little bit. I could have more results against particular matchups, but I would say Eldrazi and in fact are the two matches that I have. Played and how many, how many matches do you have respectively for those ones? Uh, Eldrazi against, I combined all versions of Eldrazi including the new red green and the new bant versions. I have 40 matches against them. Okay. And then the and then infect, I have 15. Okay, and how many different archetypes have you played against? Oh fuck. Um right now I have if you don't count random rogue decks or unrecorded 74 74 so Archive. two out of seventy-four with two hundred and seven or two hundred and seventy matches. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's it's going to be pretty tough to talk about magic. <laughs> I mean, you can. I well, I agree. There's a lot of there's a lot of decks that are similar. So, for example, you can understand a lot of how the elves matchup plays out by understanding how the merfolk matchup plays out. Similarly, you could understand a lot of how the green-white hate bears matchup plays out versus the black-white hate bears matchup. Um, same thing with like, so for example, one of the things that we separate is like green-black infect versus blue-green X infect, or uh, you know the storm decks or Tron escape shift. A lot of those matchups you can kind of lump together. They do have sim- they do have subtle differences, but there's a lot of a lot of so for example, there's four different zoo decks. Three of them play very similar to each other. And then there's one 
that plays against us at least that plays more similar to one of the versions than it plays the other two versions. So for example, uh Blitz Zoo, Zoo Blitz and traditional not traditional Zoo play very similarly whereas uh Tribal Zoo plays also very similarly to those because they go a little smaller and a little wider whereas Death Death Shadow Zoo and Big Zoo they go a little bit more a little bit bigger and a little bit more narrow. They play smiters and death shadows and things like that. So you have to kind of understand where the differences lie, but you can actually extrapolate a lot of information by just understanding how your deck handles those, those games and creatures of that kind. So, you know, for example, if you don't have a whole lot of experience against like the, the blitz zoo decks that go crazy with like burning tramissaries and stuff, and you find yourself in a matchup against like mono red eight eight whack for example you can understand how to strat you can use all of that information that you've that you you've gained from the matchups that you've played against blitz zoo in that matchup to basically understand how those plays out and whether it's whether it feels good or whether it feels do- it doesn't you get what i'm saying like yeah, it's not everything. you're not you're not playing against a different deck every single game you play against modern play a game of modern that's, that that's all i'm saying so and, and that's that's why i think i think that you know and far be it for me to 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 disagree with somebody like a, a player who has good results like jeff hoogland for example uh one of the things that i was a little a little like kind of taken aback when he he talks about how like at one point, he joined a competitive league to play some modern to get some testing for the GPs coming up for LA or Charlotte. And he talks about how he mentioned that the first round he played the red green land destruction deck and he just conceded that match because he said it wasn't, wasn't relevant to testing. And then he conceded the blue black mill. He played in blue black mill next and he just also conceded that match. And to me, that's like that you're depriving yourself of some valuable information. Now, granted, if you have specific testing goals, I definitely understand if those don't fit in the goals that you want to to hit when you're trying to test. I totally get it. But to me, every match of modern is important because I just learn something from everything. And I just get more reps against the entire format. To where you can you can understand exactly what they're playing if they open with a basic mountain or a stomping ground tapped, or if they go go misty rainforest fetch breeding pool or whatever. So that's uh that's that's all I all I have to say about that really. Oh, that's awesome, man. Love it. <laughs> wow. So yeah, and this week I will be I actually kind of taking a a unique approach to my red green ponza update and what I'm doing is I'm kind of combining some of the points that Efro made and comparing them to my own experience and basically comparing the list that he played to an 11-4 finish at GPLA to my own list and talking about the differences and stuff, so I'm pretty excited about that. Why is it called Ponza? Um, so it is named after this dish from Wisconsin called pon- the Ponza Rada. It's basically a deep-fried calzone. Uh, it was called Ponza based on a, it's an old name back when they used to name uh, a lot of grinders were from Wisconsin and, and the Midwest, and they would name uh, various decks after food things. 
So yeah. you had, you know, Dead Guy Ale and yeah. Cheerios and Fruit Loop, Fruity Loops and all that okay, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the Ponza was red green Ponza was called that because it was uh, it was red. Uh, it was red sauce with some uh, chunk, chunky, uh, some hefty. Uh, oh, man. I'll have the I'll have the exact quote pulled up for next episode, but it's basically the sauce, the meat and the cheese. Because it's sauce, and then you got a little burn for some cheese, and then you got chunks of meat. So for for your fatties, and then okay, that's clever. Uh, so yeah, it was it's pretty cool. And he this he calls it standard Green old Green. fashioned legacy crazy names. Oh yeah, yeah. Names. I do like Dead Guy Ale though. Good rogue beer. Yeah, they're good. It's a good beer. Rogue mix. Rogue mix. Fantastic beer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited what you have uh, in store, Matt. I'm honest, like, the stuff you've been putting out on the deck is really sweet. Of course, at some point, you've been so thorough about your uh, the primer, the cyborg guide, and the updates. It's like, how much more, like, it's, how much more can you actually give on this deck? <laughs> people, people are like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> They're yeah. getting so much info on well, it, so know, it's I mean, been sweet. I like to be that service to some people. I will to absolutely change uh, change what I write about. Like, for example, I'm super excited about all of the Eternal Masters downgrades when it comes to the putting like Peregrine Drake as at common, for example, because I have a popper cube that I have actually renewed interest in because of Eternal Masters. And there were mm. a lot of cards that were downgraded to common. Uh, Emperor Croc, for example, uh, Elvish Vanguard, things Is like Emperor that. Croc like a card that matters? It's it's like a big green guy, so that's that's more easy to play. Green can kind of you can, it, it kind of is a weird place in Popper Cube because you rely sometimes on playing the on playing fatties, but there's also so many spells in the format that just bounce your things or kill your things that it can be a little challenging. So just having a little higher creature quality a little earlier in the curve is is something I, I look forward to. Sweet. So, I don't think I shouted out Watsy, but shout out to Watsy for giving me sinkhole on purpose. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I think that, that was the uh, that I'm writing about red green Ponza, and then you put sinkhole. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I I wasn't sure, so I had to ask someone Watsy, and they confirmed it to me that it was purposely given to me because of mana deprived. So it was it was interesting. Um, had a little laugh there, but uh, yeah, the set's looking pretty sweet. Any any of us doing anything this weekend? I'm going to be playing the Last Chance Qualifier on Saturday, which is sealed. Um, Jared, did you put out your second video yet? No, I didn't. I didn't get a chance okay. to play. Like, work has oh, okay. just been fucking terrible. But you did the deck build? I did the deck build. I oh, just, fuck. It just I, I'd love to watch that if you can get that up. I'd, I'd watch just that. Yeah. Just that is uh, educational. Yeah, I've, I've actually got it. I just have to put the stupid thing together. We need like All a right. Kyle for videos. Who's the Kyle <laughs> for videos? Yeah. Yeah. The problem. Kyle, do you do videos? Reach out to me, bro. I mean, when, when I think when we started, did Kyle even do podcasts? Like, no. He works for I... us. We could probably make him do videos. <laughs> I tried to ask him to like edit one thing before, and he just kind of like did like that Kyle thing where he's like, "Yeah, I don't." think i can i've got a lot of stuff going on maybe maybe you should just try and integrate that into the a team and it's just like kyle you're such a nice guy you have such like this careful tactful way of just telling me to go bite myself uh 
I love Kyle. Me too. He's the best. He is the best. Yeah. If videos weren't so big and file, I think you'd consider it, maybe. <laughs> well, I will give you VNC access. You can just do it on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so hopefully I qualify for that, and hopefully um, I top four the one on Sunday. So there would be a lot of lucky events that would have to happen. I've been out of touch again, but I just realized before the show, while talking to my friend Jay Rich, that I actually top eight at this format of PPTQ, so I can't say that I'm completely out of touch with this. So hopefully um, I can carry that experience over and not bomb my draft, because I lost in top eight last time uh, with that uh, black-red sort of madness deck that never was able to to get anything going. So hopefully I, I've got better luck, but that's that's what my weekend is probably going to look like. What about you guys? Uh, I think that I'm going to, since now I'm on the 10 and 4, I'm not super excited to go to Friday Night Magic if I have to get up stupid early to work the next morning. Um, so I'm also going to have to miss out on any, like, PPTUs on the weekend. But I am going to talk to my boss and see if there's any way that I can, like, skip out on going to work uh, Sunday morning or Saturday morning or whatever the day the actual, I think it's Saturday morning that the RPTQs on. And I'm going to get up stupid early in the morning, and I'm going to try and do good at it. Sweet. Jay? Uh, probably just a little bit more deck building, working on the sideboards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have any plans to play Magic. I mean, I'll probably try to get a cube going. I always try to cube on the weekend if I can. Oh. Is that guy going to be there? Oh, I mean, like, he's one of the quote-unquote regulars, but I've said before that I'm not really interested in playing with him. Like, he's a filler. He's a quote-unquote regular. I love it. And uh, Matt? Uh, I'm going to try to find something to play. Uh, I will have... I should have the two... I should have my standard deck finished by the time the weekend comes around, so hopefully I'll be able to jam something like that. Jay, I'm excited to talk to you in the future because uh, my... One of the things that we did this weekend was brew cube ideas. Cool. So one of uh, one of the ideas that my friend is building is basically a burst ripple cube. So we're basically playing eight copies of a whole bunch of different cards, and then support for those for like support cards, just to see how it how it kind of plays. So I'm kind of stoked. I'm stoked about that. And then uh, one thing I want to do in addition to my Popper cube is I've been working on a Ravnica city cube where basically I'm combining all six right. sects into a, into a cube. Yeah. Because right, I, right. I love that plane and the Ravnica guild pack dissension are three favorite sets. And I just, I remember how great it all was and I want to kind of relive that. So uh, building that. And then uh, I talked about wanting to build a peasant synergy cube. Where basically, uh, one of the things that I I miss, like Popper Cube, is fun, but it doesn't have the crazy synergistic decks that you can build in some cubes, and I want that experience. So it's not quite. It may be like a hybrid, like tribal cube. Um, I want to build it with a six person and an eight person version, so that every card is in play every draft. So that every archetype is draftable at all times. Right, yeah. So I'll definitely be picking your brain going forward because I want to have I want to have support for elves, for example, 
or an artifact deck or slivers or a graveyard deck or things like that. Right, sure, yeah. It'd be cool. I've been talking to lots of people um, at GP Minneapolis this week. I think it's Minneapolis. Um, maybe there was a GP it. this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see any coverage for either yep. of the two. That yeah, I was, was it, I heard there was two, but like I can't possibly imagine that there would be two. We would have coverage of some sort. You'd think, right? Um, but yeah, so they played. Um, Eric Linden played. Um, he took my. He printed out and took my Game of Th- uh, Thrones cube there, and uh, and then like he said it was sweet. There's a whole bunch of stuff I could talk about, but we're you know I mean we're pressed for time here, so I won't. But I just want to say thanks to all those people that um, played it and gave me feedback, and thanks to everybody that just thought it was super cool. Um, one really cool thing that he said was like that a lot of people gave the same feedback was like they said. You know, they because they, they cubed at the GP site, so they said like a lot of people would be kind of walking around and they'd see what they were doing and they'd be like, "Oh, are, are you guys cubing? Like, cool. I've I've heard of cube, like, but I've seen it kind of thing. Because like once you've seen cube, you're like, I mean, if you've never seen cube, cube's really sweet. But if you if you have seen cube, then it's like you're like, okay, yeah, it's cube, cool, cool. Um, and then they so then they said like it went from like just minor interest uh, and they like saw the cards and they were like oh my god like what is this and they figured you know maybe somebody made proxies but used like you know cool art or something and then into you know oh it's a custom Game of Thrones cube and like oh my god and then you know seeing the cards and like whether they were good or not just I tried to make my my cards really flavorful so they like it turned into this and then you know you'd you'd see a cool card in your pack and you'd pass it and then the next guy got to see a cool card and he was like oh my god this is cool so i really that was super cool and then it actually turned into i think how you say his last name is senio but um ryan senio like he decided that what he was going to do because of this was make a um he wanted to work on his like fables cube that he was that he was making so he has like a fairy tale like he has like a fairy tales cube or whatever and uh and so he sent me some cool cards that he's been working on and and we just been kind of talking about that i was actually like i thought it would be super cool to have a design podcast um medina's been trying to design a, a bible um related ccg as well so i've been following that unfortunately i haven't had a whole lot of time to help him with it i've given him some stuff but I haven't been able to talk about it a whole lot, but, um, but like, it's, I mean, it's just, I really like that stuff. It's pretty cool. And, and no one's really, I haven't really ever talked to anybody outside of my group about, you know, making your own set. So it's, it's pretty cool that Eric is, and I hope he has lots of success with it. And, you know, I hope it's fun for him. I mean, like, you know, there's cards that I've already looked at and said, you know, I don't get the flavor of this or, or I, I think this is overpowered or this is underpowered or whatever, but not in like a, in a, in a, I want to stay like not in a in a negative way, just in like a I like just discussing designing magic cards and development because it's like it's really interesting and you don't get to talk about it very much. So yeah, yeah, uh, so Jay, I would have try, to say might try to continue continue working on that because we still have the the commander cube that we're trying to actually finish. So I might do that this weekend actually. Yeah, Jay. One thing I'd like to uh, stroke your ego a little bit is say that if you guys have and this is to all audience members, if you have any questions about game design jay is a very good person to ask not only does he have a lot of great ideas he has a lot of great he can give you a lot of great feedback and he's honest uh he won't bullshit you he'll tell you if he doesn't get something and you may disagree with him but he provides very good alternate points of view and i was super excited 
like our conversation the Friday night in Toronto, where yeah. we just talked about yeah. the game that I was that I was kind of the, my, just my idea that I was floating around. And you had a lot of a lot of really great feedback, and I, I I agree with you. I wish we could have recorded that conversation. Oh God, like I wish we would have thought of that because, like I said, we I got in at like I don't know whatever one in the morning, and I think me and Dozer talked until four thirty in the morning about game design. Like it was a super fun. Yeah, you got like a noise complaint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For talking at a reasonable volume and yeah, geez, fuck that, right? <laughs> in the department. I mean, if Jeremy hadn't rented the only suite in the library, maybe it had. <laughs> oh man, I tilted off on my in-laws because we're going to Portugal. Yeah, and like none of them were willing to like figure out where they were going to stay. So I literally am the one who jumps on like the Airbnb site, and I'm trying to go through these things. And it's like, do we want this place? Oh, well, that sounds nice, but uh. So then I like pick yeah. another one. Oh, that one says. Uh, well, how about you go back to that one that we were talking about four times ago? Yeah. Well, it's been Megan's, rented now. Megan's doing that right now because yeah. we're trying to plan yeah. like a family trip to Mexico, and it's like I'm yeah. just like, oh my god, this is such a fucking nightmare. I'm like, what you do <laughs> is you plan your trip. You say, me and Jay and mom and dad are going here at this, and this is the price, and this is whatever. Anything else? Fucking phone them or stay somewhere else. Like, get your shit together. You're yeah, fucking it was just brutal. So it's like by the time that they would decide, like, oh, well, we really like that one. Let's go back to that one. It would be rented. Like they were literally of disappearing course. as we were like going through it. And at one point there, I just turned to them. It's like I'm not even the Portuguese guy. I'm nobody <laughs> in this trip. I'm literally the guy who's going to get drug around. I have no commitments. I don't need to make plans, but you guys do. You guys are the people who have to go and meet family. And if you miss out on something, it's going to be a real big impact to you. I don't matter in this trip. So somebody else do this because I'm sick and tired of nothing getting done. <laughs> and I just like <laughs> tilted off. And it's just like, all I know is that like, if we did finally pick one, if there's anything wrong with it, I'm going to have to fucking hear about it. Because oh, yeah, I fucking sure. picked the only place in the library. So... Yep. <laughs> so we're just like, fuck this. Yeah, it's the worst. It's like, it's like, you know, I've been doing some deck building and I asked some people for some help. And, you know, they brought their kids and their wives and they helped me, you know, do some deck building. And, and then, you know, it turned out all the joists were fucking uneven and not level. And it was like, well, can you really complain about free help? I mean, Jesus. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, because my deck's all fucked because of you. <laughs> I can't even win a, I can't even fucking win one game with it, let alone 20 or 10. <laughs> uh, yeah, you tell me when, you're, when your deck has won, won one match, and we'll talk about right? it actually. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say that your deck is 82% against gravity? I mean, right now it's 100%. It's got a 100% matchup in that. So, <laughs> uh, on that note, we ready to get out of here? See you yeah, guys next week, yeah. motherfuckers. Peace. I love you all. Bye.